Hello and welcome to the Who is the Saboteur podcast. When things go wrong in your life, do you blame other people, fate or the world? The biggest force that sabotages your life is inside of you. It's your own unconscious. I'm Dr. Mike Drayton. I'm an organisational consultant, executive coach and clinical psychologist. And I'll be taking a deep dive beneath the surface of your day-to-day life. This episode is about why men kill themselves. Would you notice if a partner, friend or work colleague was feeling suicidal? In March 2019, Keith Flint, the lead singer of The Prodigy, took his own life. According to reports, Keith was enjoying a pint in the pub with his personal trainer and cracking a few jokes with other customers. A couple of hours later, he hung himself. What was going through Keith Flint's mind? Why did he appear to be relaxed and happy, but kill himself a few hours later? The tragic death of Keith Flint once again raises the issue of the tragedy of male suicide. Suicide is always multifactorial. It's rarely caused by just one event. However, from reading the newspapers, the main factor in Keith Flint's suicide seemed to be the breakdown of his relationship with his wife. Suicide is the most common cause of death for men aged 20 to 49 in England. The highest rate was for men aged 45 to 49. However, only 5% of depressed people kill themselves. Many men kill themselves because they feel angry rather than depressed. Alcohol and drugs are usually involved because this disinhibits the person and so makes it easier for them to carry out the act. The person will probably have been thinking about taking their own life for a long time and would have made concrete plans. However, the act itself takes a lot of courage. Never believe the cliché about suicide being the coward's way out. It really isn't. Often people will say that the person who has taken their own life seem to be in good spirits in the week or so before their death. This is often the case because they've made the decision to kill themselves and now they feel a sense of relief, which is misinterpreted by others as them being in a better mood. If someone you love or someone you know takes their own life by suicide, it's just awful. It feels unbearable. It's the living who suffer. However, it's important to remember that it's not your fault. This was a decision made by the person who took their life and not caused by something you said or didn't say or did or didn't do. When a person has made up their mind to take their own life, whatever you say or don't say is highly unlikely to influence the outcome. Death by suicide is the end point of a very long process. All kinds of things will have happened that you might be unaware of that has led them to this point in their life. The partner might have left them, they might have a lot of debt, they may have been grossly mistreated as children. There'll be lots of reason, reasons why the person is considering suicide. Your conversations with them in the weeks prior to them taking their life is like a drop in the ocean compared with the real reasons that brought them to considering suicide. If someone you know has taken their life and you've spoken to them in the period before their death, 
Don't get too hung up on what you said. Don't overestimate the influence that you had on them. If you're worried about someone, all you can do is listen, be kind to them and try and point them in the right direction to get help. If you do this, then you will have done enough. It's important to remember that there's a big difference between suicidal ideas, which many of us have had, and the act of suicide itself. Most people who express suicidal ideas don't actually go on to kill themselves. However, all people who have killed themselves have expressed suicidal ideas before doing so. So, an expression of suicidal ideas has to be taken very seriously. It might just be a cry for help, but then again, it might not be. If you end up talking to someone you're worried about, these are the basics of communicating with a person in crisis. By far the most important thing to remember is to listen. People in crisis are more interested in how you listen rather than what you say. Recap what you've heard. This is a good way of demonstrating to the person that you've really listened and heard what they've said. When you do recap, always be tentative. Don't interrupt. As a rule, try not to interrupt the person when they're talking. If you don't understand what the person's getting at, you probably should say so and ask for clarification, even if this means interrupting the person's flow. But as a rule, try not to interrupt them. Don't be frightened of silences. Try and leave a gap of a couple of seconds when the person has finished speaking. This will give you time to reflect on what they've said and how you might want to respond, but more importantly, give them time to gather their thoughts. Don't over-reassure. If you over-reassure the person, this is likely to reinforce their ambivalence. In other words, the more reassuring you are, the more that they will be pushed towards the other side, the extreme side of the ambivalence seesaw. Acknowledge uncertainty. Always acknowledge uncertainty. This keeps the ambivalence seesaw level. But if you can, try and be cautiously optimistic. Treat all emotions as legitimate. When people are in a crisis, they feel frightened, miserable and often angry. Just acknowledge that these feelings are understandable. What should you say if you're really worried? If you're really concerned about the person's safety and they're making specific threats, you should ask questions like, are these just thoughts that you're having or have you made any specific plans to take your life? What are your plans? When might you do this? If the person does have plans and expresses an intention to carry out their plan, then this is an emergency. Take action. Get immediate help. All you can do is your best. And that's good enough. Thanks for listening and join me again soon. Thank you.